Hey everyone. If you didn't know, A Child Walks in the Dark is also a collection of poetry, and it is out and about and available from Harbor Editions as of now. So if you're liking the podcast, these fantastic conversations I've gotten to have with these folks, and you like the poems that end each episode, consider picking up a copy of the book. We can, all of us, I think, uh, use as much poetry in our lives as possible. Thank you. Welcome to A Child Walks in the Dark, a podcast hosted by award-winning poet and author Darren C. Demery. Each week, Darren and a series of other parents and creative careers join up to discuss a different theme or challenge to raising children. Their joy, their narrative and languages, their lineage and authorship, their small towns and cities and hopes, their communities and efforts to save and be saved. Each episode explores the role of a creative person as a parent as they attempt to navigate the world their young people are growing into. This week's episode is The Dark Gets Cold, and our guest is Adam Clay. Adam Clay is the author of To Make Room for the Sea, Milkweed Editions 2020, Stranger, Milkweed Editions 2016, A Hotel Lobby at the Edge of the World, Milkweed Editions 2012, and The Wash, Parlor Press 2006. His poems have appeared in Plowshares, Denver Quarterly, Tin Homes, Bennington Review, Georgia Review, Boston Review, Jubilate, Iowa Review, and elsewhere. Recently, he received a Literary Arts Fellowship from the Mississippi Arts Commission. He is the editor of Mississippi Review and co-editor of Typo Magazine, and a contributing editor of For Kenyon Review. He directs the Center for Writers at the University of Southern Mississippi. Now, The Dark Gets Cold with Darren and Adam Clay. And as promised, I have poet and author Adam Clay with me here today. Uh, and the theme of the episode is uh, The Dark Gets Cold. And as I was thinking through uh, the original poem and thinking through the ideas of our children and mortality and without trying to start things off in uh, too morbid of a place, once we have children, um, how do you think we start to process uh, those, those dark lessons sort of as, as they come about? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me, Darren. It's great to, to speak with you some about this topic. Um, yeah, it's such a heavy question to think about. And, and it's something I think as a parent, 
um, really the world changes for you. I think when you have a, have a kid, um, I think it's like, um, you kind of see things through a different light and through, um, I don't know, just everything feels different in a lot of ways. And I think living in the time that we're, we're living now, um, it makes it even more complicated. I think I'm, I'm thinking about the pandemic, but other things too, it feels like there's a sense of, um, the traumas I think maybe that we experienced as kids would sort of happen and they weren't sort of in our faces all the time, but I feel like living in the, the time that we are now, it feels like these traumas are so prolonged, whether it's the pandemic or gun violence or, um, or issues with, um, with racism across the country. There's these things that we're sort of grappling with all the time. And I think, I think for me, like seeing my kid, kind of grow up in this time, it's really interesting to sort of see her reckoning with this because it's kind of something she's thinking about all the time. But I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like she's a more empathetic person than I was as a kid. Um, and I don't take responsibility for that at all as, as, as to how she, she came to that. But I feel like she has a view of the world that seems much more empathetic and understanding than, than I did perhaps growing up. And, and again, I'm not really sure why that's the case, but I think to be able to talk to her about some of those things, um, she just seems aware of, um, of, of how, I don't know, like how we interact with the world and, and how our choices impact and influence other people. Um, so that's been really, really amazing to see. Yeah, and, and my, my oldest is 12 and um, she's such a considered person already. Um, the way that she uh, sort of adopts uh, things like empathy and listening skills and things like that, and really tries to, not just because she's a big sister, but even when she's at school, tries to help take care of people. Uh, and, I, and I don't know if that's because she's old enough now, she's starting to pick, on, pick up on, you know, the vibes are really off right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. we, we, need, we need to protect ourselves. And uh, I've been uh, just uh, overjoyed with how much caring that she's shown. I think I think as a parent, one of the first things that it does to you is it it broadens you in unexpected ways, um, and it creates uh, new tethers where maybe there weren't tethers to you before. I remember at a certain point um, wrestling with the idea of uh, pacifism mm -hmm. when I first became a parent. Um, because for me, that had always been an absolute. I was the uh, guy in the philosophy class claiming that I would never hurt Hitler kind of thing. Like, right. um, and, you know, you have a child and your heart broadens and all these parts of you become bigger. But there are unexpected parts of you that show up as well, as in if someone tried to hurt my daughter, what would I do? Kind of, right. you know, would my pacifism be absolute at that point? Mm -hmm. Or would it become physical in nature? And one of those broadening things is, is, is a topic like this, is a topic like, more, like mortality in terms of uh, we don't spend a lot of time in our teens and 20s and maybe even our 30s uh, considering uh, that. Mm -hmm. uh, but once, once you have children and you start to really think about not just the future, but the future without you or the future without, uh, unfortunately, a grandparent or any of any of those things, uh, you, you start to think through a process uh, and prepare yourself, you know, decades in advance. And it's interesting to see them sort of pick up on, especially uh, in the last couple of years, sort of that presence maybe earlier on than we wanted them to. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think a lot about the first time I, you probably had this experience too with your kids, but you're sort of, you're going about your life, listening to the radio, you know, sort of having conversations maybe with your partner and your kids picking up on things that maybe you're not quite aware of yet. <laughs> well, they hear um, everything. They, they hear like, everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and they learn, they learn, you know, they, they pick up things a lot sooner. Um, yeah. Sooner than you think sometimes. And I think one of the first times I kind of had that moment was driving uh, with my daughter, taking her to school uh, to sort of her, it was a co-op school we went to at that point. And um, the Sandy Hook shooting had just happened and sort of having the NP, you know, NPR on in the car with her and kind of, it hit me suddenly, like she's processing what this story is about. And these kids were not much older than she was at the time. And that was really for me, kind of a, a moment that I, I had a hard time processing and trying to figure out like, what do I do with this? You know, what do I do with this moment? But, um, cause I think, yeah, the impulse is to maybe shelter a kid or sort of keep them from some of these terrible stories. But in some ways, like exposing them to that allows them to maybe process it and, and come to terms with it in an empathetic way, um, hopefully, right? Um, right, at a young age. But it, it is, yeah, I mean, this is the whole innocence experience thing that we, I think sure. we wrestle with as parents, yeah. Well, and some of it, there's always going to be a first sort of, uh, it takes a while to figure out exactly what death is. Right. Um, we lost our dog this summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was very old, but still for the, th for the youngest, for the three-year-old, it took her several attempts to understand exactly what death was Right. because she could say things like, oh, Barley died. Yeah. Yeah. And then a week later, she asked if he was coming back. Well, he right. died. Okay. I get that. But when's he coming back? Um, and that, that whole part of the process where where death is not just a word that adults use, but when it finally has meaning. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, it finds, finds some folks, uh, some children too young. Um, and, but after that, you know, they're not so blindsided by it anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it, they, you know, it, it, it's really the beginning of sort of understanding um, sort of the, where those things come from and what happens afterwards. And, um, I don't, I think they shrug it off mm -hmm. for the most part, unless it's, uh, an incredibly vital person to them, but it's, it's difficult to get to any sort of understanding. I think no matter, uh, what age the child is, if you don't have any experience with it or anything like that. Yeah. It's super complicated. And I think, um, yeah, losing someone that's close to you, like parent or grandparent, usually it's a great grandparent, it seems for a lot of kids that they sort of a person they've known, but maybe didn't feel like they were a part of their life all the time, but sort of mm -hmm. to lose that person. And yeah, it was my daughter was the great, my grandmother, her great grandmother, and sort of, you know, going to the funeral at a very young age and having mm -hmm. that experience, I think, um, yeah, I think it was, it, it's a difficult thing to process at that age and doesn't really make, make much sense at all. Yeah. Well, and it's, especially for a child where there's so much, so much life to them, right. That all of a sudden, all these people that are always so uh, happy because they're with the child uh, mm -hmm. loud and music and all the things that are their day-to-day -day life to, to have that sort of um, silence take over as, as it does. Um, it's, I think that maybe is the hardest part for them to, well, why aren't we happy? why aren't yeah. we playing? Why aren't, yeah. And we just, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, lost my grandmother mm, and sorry. yeah, thank you. Um, 
And the older ones had gotten to spend a fair amount of time with her and go to lunch with her and do all these things because she lived in town. And um, for the three-year-old, she used the pivot point of the dog. Mm-hmm. Of like, course. Uh, you know, Gloria, Grandma Gloria is dead and she's not coming back like Barley's not. And they sort of start to build a language for it. Right. Um, and I, I think for us as adults and for, for you and I as artists, as we start to find uh, the right words for some of these things, this is sort of the leveler where uh, sometimes death or uh, tragedy or a catastrophe, um, when, when we consider those things in our own writing, um, it's, it's something where all of a sudden it becomes difficult for us to find the right words or the right perspective. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's one thing, maybe it's different from when, I keep just saying me and you when we were kids. I don't know if we're the same age or not, but- um, I'm 40. Okay, I'm 43, so yeah. yeah. But I think there's sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think a lot about the way, I got into meditation a couple of years ago and sort of the way that meditation sort of teaches you to sort of like, the feelings are okay, you know, that it's okay to have feelings, even if they're, you know, about grief or loss. Um, And I think- I think sometimes like the impulse with a kid is maybe to protect them from those feelings, but, but really like, I think it's important for children to learn how to process those feelings and feel them and realize, Hey, this is like, okay to feel sad about this, you know? Cause I think sometimes I think there's a generational shift where I think previous generations, it was kind of like, we don't talk about our feelings. You know, we don't talk about how we're feeling. Let's just move on. You know? And I think there's something different about this generation. That's really, it's valuable. I think to process those feelings. Well, and they get more comfortable with not sort of living uh, within the, the center of themselves in a way and, and, and embracing right. that sometimes emotionals are extreme. Um, and if you end up on one side uh, in extreme grief or extreme happiness or any of those things, that, that that's all acceptable. Um, and they get, you know, if they get too emotional at school, you know, they get talked to about it. Now, I think there's a lot more understanding in teachers today than there was when I was, you know, when yeah. we were in elementary school. Uh, why are you crying? Uh, and then we get into gender things, uh, you know, rub some dirt on it. You're, you're a, for us, you're a boy, get tough, yeah. things like that. And it starts to blunt um, how we experience those uh, extremes, emotions as grief is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just because you're very happy one day and very sad the next, or you're trying to process uh, something larger than yourself, that is absolutely okay. And it's tough for children to understand that, I think. Right. Yeah. And I think we have to kind of teach them at a young age that that's okay to have those feelings and to sort of work through them. And, um, and it's part of the process, right? I mean, the, you know, all the stages of grief, you know, it's a sort of like, yeah. it's like cliche, but it's really true, right? It's how you come to terms with things. And I think if you don't process it and really just live with those feelings, you won't process it. You won't come to terms with it. So yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to the idea of, uh, and, you know, I talk about this sometimes in terms of opportunities for children, but for emotions as well, you want to open as many doors as possible. You want them to be able to feel uh, all the feelings and not think that any of them are necessarily taboo or especially not bad or, or anything. And when, when grief, or if, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think you and I are, I don't know your history well enough, but are relatively healthy people, but 
you know, as, as we sneak into closer to 50 and things like that, things start to pop up and, you know, people get sick. It doesn't necessarily mean anything's bad going to happen necessarily, but how at that point a teenager would process it or a 23 year old or however old, Mm -hmm. um, it, I think they start to understand how to move forward with that knowledge in a different way. And I think, um, understanding mortality helps them get ready for that and helps them get ready for their own challenges, I, I think as well. Right. Yeah. I think that's really, that's really well said. And, um, yeah, I had a, I did have a health scare a couple of years ago, you know, some, some headaches that sort of crept out of nowhere. And I think, yeah, seeing my daughter kind of like seeing, seeing her try to process what I was going through, it was, it was sort of, I mean, it ended up not being anything. I had, you know, scans done and they, they found nothing, but to sort of be basically kind of out of pocket for a couple of days, you know, yeah, um, was really intense. And I think, yeah, scary for her to see, but I think scary for me too, you know, only being, you know, 41 at the time, it was still a lot. And this was kind of like the beginning of the pandemic too. So there was just all these things yeah. happening. Yeah. That had to be a lot. Yeah. So kind of being put into an MRI machine, you know, with a mask on and, you know, it was just, you know, there was a lot, a lot to process there. So, um, but I do think, again, just being open with a kid and talking about them or talking with them about what's happening is super important. And I think, um, I don't know, I mean, it's a question maybe for you about how like quote unquote sheltering a child, but where's that line? Right. I think for a parent, that's a question that we always have. Yeah. And I, I think the worst thing you can do in almost any situation is, is out and out lie. I mean, we could have a discussion about Santa does the same, but (laughs) um, other than that, you know, as long as you are uh, as clear and concise and truthful as possible with a child, it might take them a few times to figure it out, but you don't Mm want to hide them um, from that. That that's such a natural part of things. I, you know, I think there are things you might, you might hold back until a certain age, but if they ask the question, mm-hmm. um, then I feel like we're we're sort of duty bound um, to, to try it's to true. yeah to try to as best as possible clarify what's going on because when they start um, just like us when we start to lose footing when we're unsure that's when um, that's when joy starts to fade that's mm-hmm. when you start to um, I don't necessarily care about a, a bad day at school or anything like that, but that's when, uh, you know, they start to lose that, that little bit of gusto that they, that they all have as children. And, um, you know, all three of mine are, are pretty dynamic little people. And you can tell, um, that, uh, when they're processing extra things like this, if you're not, uh, honest with them, it, it, they sort of stay in that place for a little bit longer than you, you'd hope they would. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, thinking about having the three kids and sort of the conversations that might happen between them about things seems really yeah. interesting to you. Um, I have an only child, just one daughter who's 12 as well as, 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 yours, as yours. And yeah, I think, I mean, there's something about the only child, I think, where they do they do grow up fast. I think in a lot of ways, you know, I think that sort of happens or maybe the oldest child, you know, will too, but, um, I think she's really grown up a lot and me and her mom separated a couple of years ago. So I think that was something really that she had to process at a young age. That was, was very difficult too. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and that's not, um, that's an unmooring for sure. I mean, I imagine, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad everyone, uh, is, is doing well now, but that's something that I went through when I was, uh, 19, 20, mm-hmm. uh, and even that much older was not 
you know, not an easy thing to process. And I think if there had been more clarity and honesty and in that situation, I think, I think it would have been easier. I I can't, I don't know how that talk would go with the 10 year old. Yeah, it was tough. It's a very tough conversation, but you know, cause I think kind of what you were saying earlier about losing someone, it's sort of like the whole world they've known is sort of gone suddenly. And it's just, you know, it's different and, and that's hard. And it's, it's, yeah, there's, you know, you grieve from that for a long time, you know, it feels like there's a circling back that happens a lot. And um, I think, especially being around the holidays now, I think my daughter has said that before, you know, around the holidays, it's especially difficult, but, but again, just sort of like encouraging them to sort of process the feelings and think through them and feel them. And there's nothing wrong with feeling sad about something. I think it's very important to have those, those feelings. Well, yeah. And if you could have the conversation where you get to the other end of it, where, yeah, you you are sad. And do you know why you're sad? You're sad because you have so much love for this person. Right. And they might not be here right now, but they're going to be here soon. Or you're going to be with them soon. And um, that's, that's, that's hard to process as, as they're growing up. And, um, you know, you become as, as their parent, uh, you know, you're a, a central, you're a strong point to them that they return in their routine over and over again, every single day. Right. And when those sort of strong points feel like they've moved, mm-hmm. you know, just, just getting back to the routine and getting back to normal, I imagine is a, is a, is a tough task. Yeah. And it's just a different, I think it's a different type of normal, you know, it's a different mm-hmm. life. I mean, I think we're all kind of dealing with that with the pandemic, right. Trying to figure yeah. out what's, what's the world going to look like, um, you know, moving forward. And I think, you know, parenthood is like that sometimes too. You have these moments where things just shift and change and um, suddenly it's like, oh, this is, this is okay. You know, (laughs) we're okay. And I think that's, that's kind of where things are now. Um, And I think that's really, that's really good. Well, and it feels like right now it's hesitancy all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's tough to feel like we're building any sort of rhythm towards anything. And um, I know in, uh, in my own work, the, the last project I just, finished was on um uh nature catastrophe things just because i couldn't yeah. think to write about anything else um and in a uh, desperate grasp for control i even stuck to syllable counts and all wow. you know, you know <laughs> yeah. like i became obsessed with lines that traded seven syllables for eight and back and forth and just mm. trying to imbue my own power on the universe i don't know i don't know but trying trying to build momentum right now is, is a difficult thing yeah. And I think that's really, I think, I think what you said there about, you kind of had to write about it. I think that's true too. As an artist, I think you sort of see these things and it feels like, how can you not write about what's happening around us? Yeah. Um, but it's also tricky too, because I think like, I don't know, there has to be some hope somewhere. I think when you have a kid, you sort of yeah. have to sort of hope that, that there will be some, something positive on the other end. Um, and, and I think a lot about, I mean, I think my last book, I was sort of working on it as, um, as I was separating from my ex-wife. So kind of trying to think about like, how do I write about what's happening? But also like thinking about my daughter will read these poems one day, right? Like she, she's going to read these, these poems. So how do I, yeah. How do I sort of process what's happening in them, but also think about a future beyond them too, because you know, there is a future. Right. And I think that's, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah, the, the last poem of the Child Walks in the Dark book is you uh, you might choose to read these poems. And it's entirely right. about how in the future, because right now, you know, 12, 9 and 3, they think holding the book is cool. But right. other than that, they're not they're not spending a lot of time with it. Mm-hmm. So 
when when they come across these poems, they're all dedicated either to the children, to the daughter or the son, because we had two when I was writing it, um, you know, talking about how, uh, you know, they'll find me in the place where I'm happiness, because when they find me, then mm -hmm. I'm with them again in a way that uh, grows love and circles the epic. Uh, and I think the last line of, uh, you know, the book is, uh, you know, and that's surely that's if a soul exists, that's a thing that can buoy it. Mm -hmm. um because you know they are they are going to come back and they're going to find us uh even even when, when we're older and they're trying to understand us i you know i i it's it, i'm very happy that you get to be the first father that i've gotten to talk to there's luckily going to be others but as someone who spent the large majority of his life trying to figure out why his dad did some of the things he did right. you know i'm well aware of how uh these times are affecting and how my relationship with them will get chewed on and mm -hmm. studied far after these things have, have passed. And you hope that they, when they find you, they find you in the loving place that, uh, that you're hoping they do. And that it's, it's difficult to, to think all the way to that point. Uh, mm -hmm. but that's a point that I think if you're considering it with a, a live heart, um, you know, is going to be something that takes you to hope. Um, and so, you know, all, all the poems in this book, they, they start in, uh, questionable or dangerous places and you hope that it ends up in that, in that better place by the time you get to the end of it. So I'm, you know, and I've, I've read your books and especially the last one, you could, you could feel you reaching for that kind, let's say much more than like in stranger or, mm -hmm. um, some of the earlier work and that. You know, there's there've been some incredible books, yours included, that that seem to be moving through some sort of process like that, like uh, Maggie's Good Bones and and, oh, and things of that nature. Yeah, and I think it really is that sort of. I mean, I think of the early books when my daughter was really young. I guess I wasn't really thinking about her as a reader of them, but I do think like as you, you know, as your children start reading and kind of thinking about things, you're like, oh, she's going to read these poems one day, right? And yeah. and and what is she going to think of them? And and you know. I mean, we haven't talked a little bit about mortality, but really the poems kind of become sort of, they kind of work against mortality in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. Because they'll, they'll outlive us, um, the poems will. And it's cool to when, think about that. When you finish a good one, it certainly feels yeah, like that. Hopefully, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah. So like, I mean, we think a lot about like leaving things for our kids. And I think there's something about leaving, I mean, like, you know, leaving money, leaving furniture, leaving things, but like leaving a poem, there's something about the way the poem is, um, it is kind of a prayer in a lot of ways, right? Like a poem is a, a prayer in terms of processing the world that we're in, sort of what's happening in that moment, but also like, what do we want to see in the future? And to think about it that way, I think is really cool, but it, it does feel like, okay, suddenly there's this kind of like person looking over your shoulder, like reading the poems and how does that impact the way that you, that you write them? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if they're finding it at the right place, they'll understand that it might be, it might look like a static thing in front of them, but the best of poetry is energy and music. And it sort of keeps going even when you're done with it. Right. Uh, and hopefully they, you know, they meet it in the same place. Um, and, you know, hopefully they only find the good ones, you know, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> hide all the drafts. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, that's why before every reading, I'm like, okay, only the good poems this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's something, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about this too. I mean, I think writing poems, I guess I worried, 
early when my daughter was young about sort of the sentimentality of them, you know, and kind of worried about writing poems that might be too sentimental. But I do think, yeah, it's, it's easy to move away from that. I think as you sort of look to the world around us and sort of what we're leaving for our children too. Yeah. Sure. And after you've written long enough, you know, where sort of the traps for you lie Um, and not just how to avoid them, but when you find yourself in them, regardless how to get out of them and how to, how to make the poem more interesting, either, you know, through uh, image or challenge or whatever you're trying to do with it. Right. Um, and then, you, you know, when they find it, you hope that they get um, what you wanted other folks to get out of it as well. And we're talking a lot about hope and rightfully so, because if we were just talking about, man, death, you know, you know, it, it gets it gets pretty dark pretty fast. Um but you hope that they can they can meet you at that place of music and energy and they get they get something out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You don't want to necessarily write the, you know, Phil Larkin's this be the verse, you know, and have your kid read that, right? <laughs> you want to avoid yeah. that if you can. Well, you know, sometimes a bummer poem is the best poem, but yeah. You know, um, yeah. Absolutely. It just depends on how things are, are being processed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I wanted to ask one more thing uh, before we went. Sure. And that was um, when we acknowledge these things with our children, um, do you think that that sort of uh, blunt topic um, can actually help them to start to stir things like empathy, to start them to stir things towards uh, more emotions than, than grief, sort of the, the, tail, the tail end of it, hopefully? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, this comes back to the sort of, I mean, this question of like these dynamics or these sort of like things that are working up against each other. Um, and I think kind of an understanding, yeah, that grief, that grief is tied to something. I mean, like, like what you're just saying, like, you know, if, if, if the, the parent's not there, the grief is not about, it's about loss and it's about love. Right. Um, and really, it's kind of what grief is all about is about like love when it comes down to it, like losing someone perhaps. Um, and so I think like, I think knowing that like that those feelings that you're processing, there is something on the other side of them. So I do think that, that it does stir up more empathy and more understanding that the world is a more complicated place than it might seem just on the surface. Well, and them understanding that, that the largeness of the loss is because something important was there. Right. Um, and we've, we've been talking about it in terms of love, but there is so much that it takes for a child to, to be safe, to be healthy, to develop that so many people are involved that, and it could even be the loss of a neighbor. I mean, we are, we have kids running all over our neighborhood. There will be a kid in my house that I'm like, who are you? What's your name? I'm sorry. Where, right. do, you, where do you live? Where'd you come from? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, we, we make these marks on all of these children, our lives. Sometimes it's ours. Sometimes it's, um, I've gone into a lot of elementary schools. Uh, I've been schooled by third grade poetry clubs in the past. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I tried to read a poem about burping and they were like, no, really, we want to know about sonnets. Um, amazing. Wow. Yeah. um, but we, we keep making these imprints, uh, in children's lives and not just our own, and when there's a loss that can coincide with that, them understanding, you know, the other side of the cutout, the, the, the size and importance of people in their lives, I, I think it's okay for them to acknowledge that. And then I think that helps them truly understand what loss is. And I don't think that means more grief. I think that means more understanding. 
of yeah, how absolutely. interconnected we are. Yeah, no, for sure. And thinking about, I mean, just like you talked about, you know, sort of climate change, climate disaster. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like, it's easy to kind of get stuck in the loop of just like, like, it's just all so bad what's happening, you know? And I, I feel like, I feel like if we all fall into that trap, it's nothing's going to change. Right. So there, there's, there's something to processing what's happening in the world, but then like, what's, yeah. What are we going to do with these feelings? Like, how do we process them and move forward? Yeah. Well, and taking it, taking it all as a path, you, I mean, you talked about meditation mm-hmm. uh, and, and your process through it and how it, it gave you maybe almost more permission for some of those wider emotions. Uh, right. And as you, as you consider things more deeply in that quiet place, grief can give you a quiet place as well. Mm-hmm. It's one with more hurt to it, but hopefully it, you know, all in all will help you feel more things on the other side of it. Right. And it's, it's the small grief of, you know, maybe mom's not there or great grandma has died or, um, and, and working, working through to, uh, something profound and how much we matter to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I thank you very much, Adam, for talking tonight. Um, before, before we go, I wanted to thank Emily Caldwell for recording the introduction and the band pagination for recording the awesome music for a child walks in the dark. Adam, thank you again. It was great. I'm a huge fan. It was great to talk, uh, both poetry and parenting and and all that with you. Thanks so much, Darren. It's been a pleasure. The dark gets cold. I told my daughter the dark gets cold, but that doesn't mean you have to pull the eyes out of the dead fish you've been given. It doesn't mean you have to eat the fish. You and the fish have both existed in a time that held little warmth, and that time will change as all times change. And I hope you never forget what it felt like to have your hand hover over death's reminder that you are more than any pale gesture the world chooses to make.